You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Today we are reading from Colossians chapter 1, continuing our series studying verse by verse through the book of Colossians. This is chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have him and through, for, sorry, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, y'all. How you guys doing? You guys good? Everyone good? Everyone's not too cold? This is L.A. This is freezing for us in L.A. We're, we're dying of just being frozen. This is funny. After watching yesterday's game at Kansas City, minus six degrees, they're playing football. It's just insane. And we're cold here. Uh, I'm pumped to be with you guys this morning. My name is Samir. I have the honor of being one of your pastors. Uh, I say one of because we are led by a multitude of pastors. We are a plurality of leadership, uh, and we love that model because we believe it's God's model. Um, uh, I just also want to celebrate something this morning. We, we are church, we're a church that loves celebrating. Uh, and yesterday, or not yesterday, but this week, uh, our worship pastor, our worship leader, um, and his girlfriend has become fiance. So let's celebrate. Brendan and Carly, he said it was okay, so if, if you're upset at me sharing that, that's his fault. So we celebrate you guys, we love you guys so much, so pumped for you, uh, God is doing some really cool things. Um, anyways, that's just something we love doing together as a community, we just celebrate one another. Um, I want to uh, continue our series in Colossians, we started the year off in Colossians last week, and this week we're going to continue in our second week, it's an eight week series, and I'm really pumped for it, it's called Rooted in Christ, Rooted in Depth and Restoration in Christ, and just the heart of what it means to be rooted in Jesus. That's the heart of our series. I want to pray for us and then jump right into it. Let me do that for us. Lord God, we thank you that we can celebrate you. We can celebrate what you're doing in our stories, in our lives, God, because our stories matter to you. 
Lord Jesus, and we thank you that through our stories, you are glorified. Through our stories, you are magnified. Jesus, as we proclaim you, as we declare you, as we read your scriptures, may you help us see you for who you truly are, which will ultimately help us see who we are, God, in light of you. Lord, we thank you that you are the king of kings and the one who came to die for us so that we can have life and life abundant. We pray that you give a, give a clarity in this time, give us understanding in your word, and may you be magnified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so as humans, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I've recognized that humans like to add things to make things better. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like we always want to like, there's a good thing, but we always want to just make it better for some reason. Like if we can do something that makes it better. Like there are some times where that's a good thing and there's some times where it's just a little overboard. You know what I'm saying? Like, so some of the good things that I think like this is good, but we can make it better. One thing is ranch on a salad, (laughs) right? Like salads are, yeah, they're all right. Like, but without ranch, I mean, it's or whatever dressing you like, right? It's better with dressing, right? Or the one I love the most is high definition on our TVs. Or we had TVs, there was the the black and white TV, and now we got high definition. We've made it better throughout the years, and watching football without high definition now is just impossible. (laughs) Right, or something that I, recent, that I thought, man, this is a really cool addition to something, is the backup cameras in our cars. I appreciate those. Those are great. Like, that's a great addition to something that was good. Like, cars are good. There's a little mirror. They're like, oh, that's helpful. But a backup camera? I mean, that's a great add to our cars. Something that's a little overboard that I think sometimes can go a little too much is, and we have pictures of them because I want you guys to see them if you don't know what they are. My daughters wear these, but like Crocs with all the charms on it? I mean... That's just a little overboard, right? Like, I, I, sorry for the young ones. The young ones are like, what are you talking about? I love those. It's a little overboard. Another one that's a little overboard, I don't know if you've seen these, but they're called giant hats. Have you seen these? This is like a thing now. Like, this is not just like a spoof. This is a thing. People wear giant hats now, and it's like a thing. Isn't that a little overboard? Like, I'm like, what? Another one that's a little overboard that I think is funny, which actually is funny because they, they actually, like, Costs a lot of money, like four, five hundred, six hundred bucks. Is these boots right here? These are overboard. Like I've seen someone like on online try to sell these for like four or five hundred bucks, and they're like, "Oh, I want it," and they buy it. I'm like, "What?" Like a little overboard, right? And so as humans, we we tend to like things are good, but like we want to make them better. But sometimes we go a little overboard, and and sometimes even things can get. Um, overboard in the areas where that really, really matter, like our faith. Like we try to add things to things like our faith or things that matter in our life, and that can sometimes be very, very harmful, right? Th- things that um, we try to add to our faith are like, right, Jesus is cool, but man, if we add prosperity and guarantee that everyone can have a lot of things, that's so much better. Right? Or, or Jesus is cool, but, but we want to add these traditions, these religious traditions, so that people can follow it, so that they can look like they're better than other people. Right? Or Jesus is cool, but, but man, if you had all this theological knowledge in order to, to make yourself look better than everyone, man, you would be that much cooler, even though you're probably a jerk to everybody. Right? There's this idea of Jesus plus something is better. But in reality... 
Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. This Jesus plus something is a dangerous, dangerous mindset. And this is actually the mindset that Paul was trying to address to the Colossians. He was trying to help them understand that Jesus plus something is nothing. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus is enough. Right? We see the Colossian church, they're, they're getting all this false teaching, this heresy that's coming from left and right. And they're being told uh, who Jesus is, what does Jesus mean, and, and some of the things of, of who is this Jesus dude. Is he just a good guy? I mean, this is stuff that they were told. He was just a good dude that lived on earth and died. Or is he a prophet that came from God? Is he just a prophet? Or was he made into a God? This was one of the things that they were told, that they were, he was made into a God, one of the gods. Was he just one of the gods of many? Who is this guy? And, and they were hearing this from everywhere, like left and right, right? They had the, the Greek philosophers, they had the Judaizers, they had all these different perspectives and teachings that came at them. And I don't know about you, but this is not very different than we hear today. That we don't really grasp fully who Jesus is because we get so many different thoughts and philosophies and ideas of who he is from all over. And I think it's essential for us to understand who Jesus is as a central piece to who we are and what our faith is. Jesus is essential. Understanding who he truly is is everything. Who Jesus is and what we believe about him makes us what we call Christian. Small Christ, Christ, little Christ, that's what Christian means. Every other faith and cult believe that Jesus existed. They believe that he is a historic figure who lived and died. But their belief of who he truly was differs than the orthodox Christian understanding of who he is. There is different variety of understandings of who he is. So when you hear someone say, oh, Jesus is cool, or Jesus is great, but like they don't fully grasp the fullness of who he truly is, like I would encourage us as God's people here in this church today that understanding who he truly is matters. It really, really matters. He is, Jesus is the game changer. He's the X factor. He's the playmaker. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. And the hardest part most people have a struggle with is that line between he was a great man and he was God in the flesh. Like that's a big gap for a lot of people. That he was just a great dude. I don't think a lot of people will complain or, or have a concern about that being told. But the idea that he was God in the flesh the very image of God is something that a lot of people struggle with. So what we believe about Jesus changes everything. And Paul in our scripture today was really diving into that understanding. And so our big idea for today, and I believe what Paul was trying to tell the Colossian church is this. Is that Jesus is central to the mystery and meaning of life. Jesus is central to the mystery and meaning of life. See, I have a, two daughters. My youngest daughter, Zoe, 
she is like a philosopher. <laughs> she likes to think and she has these questions. And the other day we were just, I was just praying for her and we're getting ready for bed. Um, and she just was perplexed by this notion that Jesus was a baby, but he was also God. This idea that this uncreated being, God, was also a baby. And she asked me, like, how is that possible? So, like, was he also there before he created everything? Like, there was nothing. It was just darkness. And he created things, but he came as a baby. This, this perplexion of just this seven-year-old just boggled my mind because I, those are things that I've struggled with in my life, right? My, my beliefs and what I understand and trying to, like, grasp the, the mystery of God. I don't know. Have you guys ever processed these things in your heart and your mind. I think these are good things to grasp and to understand. And Paul is addressing these things. That there's a mystery. See, have you ever considered how the mysteries of life are for everyone? What I mean by that is that the mystery, mystery is not unique to Christianity. Every faith, every belief, every philosophy has this idea of mystery in their belief. Even atheism, right? There's this, there's this beginning before the Big Bang, there was nothing, but there was a mystery of that nothing. Like, they don't really know. There is no full understanding where every human can fully grasp all things about who God is. Because the reality is, the truth is, humanity is unable to fully retain and grasp the hugeness, the grandeur of God and creation. As the created beings, as humans, we are not able to fully grasp the fullness of God. That's a mystery. So how then is Jesus central to the mystery and meaning of life? How is Jesus central to this truth, to this reality? First thing is that Jesus is the manifest presence of God. Jesus is the manifest presence of God. We see Paul state that. Okay, remember, this was things that, these were things that the Colossian church, the same thing I'm presenting here, that maybe you're like, hmm, this is stirring in me. This is the same stuff that was stirring in the Colossian people. And so he's helping them grasp this by making these statements. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 displays this truth. He says this, he says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything, everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. The things we see and the things we do not see. The fleshly things and the spiritual things. God, Jesus created. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. See, the text begins by declaring Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In these verses, we witness the cosmic scope of Christ's creative power. Right? Everything, visible and invisible, has its origin in him. He is not merely part of creation. He is the architect of creation. He is the sustainer and the purpose of all creation. As we navigate life's mysteries, 
we find clarity in recognizing Jesus as the manifest presence of the invisible God. The one in whom all things hold together. See, everything was created by him. I don't know um, if you thought about this, but Genesis and John are almost saying the same things, but, but little more nuanced things in John. But in Genesis 1.1, we see and read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, right? John, in the book of John, he writes in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning. So he's trying to parallel the two. In the beginning was the word. And the word was Jesus, because the word was spoken into creation. The word was Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that was created. So only in the word, Jesus, were things created. He is the supreme and sufficient one over all creation. He holds it all together. He keeps it sustained in one. He was not created, but he came as a man, as the very image and essence of the fully divine God. See, this is the mystery, right? He came as a baby. He came as a man, but yet he was not created. He came as the very image, as the very essence of God, he is God in the flesh. That God desired to come to earth to be with his people, to be with his creation. The uncreated one came as a figure of a created one, right? Like a, one, one of us. He came as one of us even though he was not created. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did God create this scene to happen? What was the intent? Jesus had to come as the perfect image of God because God in the form, because him as God in the form of human, he was, the reality is, is as humans, we were screwing it all up. We were not able to retain the intent of humanity, which was to be with God. The very purpose of humanity was to be with God, but yet we were running away from God. So God himself said, I will come in the image and in the intent and look like them so they can see who I am, so I can be with them. He, he came as a man. He came because he loves us. He came because he wanted to be with his people and to create an opportunity and a hope for us. Jesus being the very image of God in human form is the evidence that he is also the new and perfect human, right? So God came in the flesh as a human. He came and perfected humanity through Christ. He lived the life that we all strive to live. He lived the perfect life that we want to, uh, to live, to become. Because to be human is to desire to be fully human. What do I mean by that? That everything we strive for, everything we want, everything that we desire 
is only perfected in Jesus. Like, right, wanting notoriety, notoriety, like fame. Wanting money and comfort and power and joy and hope and love and desire, a desire to live forever. We have all of these desires, but because of humanity's imperfection, because of humanity's perversion, we've corrupted this reality. We've corrupted this meaning of being fully human. They've become almost bad things at times. But Jesus perfected it. Jesus wants us to understand that through him, we can live a full life. A full life of humanity. Only he has it. So every aspect of our life now, how do we then live? We live with our work, our love for others, our love and desire and notoriety and power and money. All of these things are only perfected through Jesus and the way he lived, the way he loved, the way he led, the way he managed his finances, the way he managed people, the way he declared the glories of God, the way he declared himself Right, the way he lived in a humble state. He came as God but did not come to, to bloat, to, to, to make it this, this idea that he was over people, but he wanted to be with his people. It's a beautiful original intended form was through Jesus, what it means to be human. So he perfected it. So let us look at the life of Jesus as our sufficient and supreme example of how to live of how to live, because Jesus is the manifest presence of God. Like, that's mind-blowing, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, came to be with us and to look like us. Second reason why Jesus is the central heart of the mysteries and meanings of life. The second reason is that Jesus is the manifest power of God. Not only is he the presence of God in the flesh, but he is the power of God. We saw that in 18 through 20. He says, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, we see Jesus portrayed as the head of the body here, the church, right? And the firstborn from the dead. Here, the focus shifts from his redempt to his redemptive power. We saw his presence as God, but now it's his redemptive power. In Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. And through his sacrificial death on the cross, he reconciles. He brings things, everything back together to its original intent. Reconciles us back to God. The resurrection demonstrates his authority over sin and death, revealing Jesus as the manifest power of God. See, through his blood, peace is made. And through his resurrection, hope is restored. He is now the redeemer, the reconcile, and the ruler of the church. He is the master, the king, the head shepherd of the church. 
This is why we believe that Jesus is the head and the leader and the pastor of this church. He's the head and pastor and leader of all church, the big C church, but he's also the lead pastor of this church. This is why we believe in the plurality understanding of leadership. Because in the reality of who he is, we surrender ourselves to him and say, God, how do you desire to lead? Show us so that we can follow you. I personally don't believe one person can do that. I think God created it in a way that is meant to be plurality. Because he is already the lead pastor of this church. He is already the head of this church. And then it says, he was the firstborn raised from the dead. See, it's not that he was created, this idea of firstborn. It's the idea that he was the first of his kind. He is the heir, the first one to come. The first one who was resurrected. The first one who was resurrected and then now we are co-heirs, those that are in Christ. We follow him that we will then also be resurrected one day. He was the first to be resurrected. That's why he was the firstborn of the dead. So that one day we will then follow and be resurrected with him as the church. We have to understand the context and what God is saying in his word. When we read firstborn, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a word of, of an heir of God, like an heir of a son or a father, right? So we have to understand that in, an, in context, that he was the first amongst the rest, which is us, the church. Who is Christ to the church? Christ is the supreme one over the church. That means he is the ultimate. He is the master. He is the king, the ruler and king of who we have surrendered his, to his supremacy. We have surrendered our life. We've surrendered our understanding to who he is and what he's called us to do. Jesus is the full, complete, and perfect reflection of God's power for all humanity. This mystery of like, we go up and, 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 and go on a hike and we see how big creation is, how amazing and powerful God is. This mystery of God's power, all of it is reflected in this one person, Jesus. He is the very power of God. How do we then live in reflection of that? How do we then live in light of that? For those that are in Christ, the truth is we can now live freely. We can be free from comparing. We can be free from concern. We can be free from the fear of what tomorrow would bring. See, we have the best of the best. We have the supreme outcome that is guaranteed and assured because Jesus came. We don't need to walk around feeling inadequate because we don't have the best new car or the best new shoes or that new house we've always wanted. Because we have the incomparable, incomparable king as our redeemer, reconciler, and ruler. He is everything. He is supreme. He is sufficient. He is enough. That we can hold our head up and chest back because we are confident in knowing that we have all that we need in him. He's done all of it. And we can be under his authority. 
See, it's like walking around with the latest and newest iPhone that you always update all the time, the newest one. You don't have to look right to left and think about, oh man, that's a, that, I need to get that one or I need to get that one. We have the latest and newest and best always and forever. There's no more need for an upgrade. He is the ultimate upgrade. He is supreme. We do not need to compare anymore. We do not need to look down on ourselves as like, man, only if. We have Jesus, the supreme one who came to save us and be with us and, we, and is with us now and today. He is the central heart of the mystery and meaning of all of life. All of life. Thirdly, the other reason why he is the meaning and mystery of life is that Jesus manifests our purpose in God. He manifests the very purpose that we have in God. The created, the creating one, the one who created us, gave us a purpose, and all of it is in Christ and through Christ. Colossians 1, 21 through 23 says this. Once you were alienated. I don't know about you, but there was a time where I did not know God. You were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you as holy, as faultless and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel that has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. This gospel, this good news. Paul is bringing it home here, right? He's reminding the Colossians of their past alienation, of their past hostility towards God because they did not know God. But that the beauty of Jesus shines through as the reconciler, as the one who came to restore all things back to God. The original intent that through his physical body and death, he transforms us. He makes us new, presenting us as holy, faultless, and blameless before God. I'm, I don't know about you, but sometimes I do not feel holy, faultless, and blameless before God. But yet, through Jesus, we are faultless, holy, and blameless before God. But yet there's a condition, a call. He calls us in this passage to remain grounded and steadfast in faith. To remain steadfast in what you believe. Not shifting away from the hope of the embedded gospel that, that has been implant, implanted in you. This good news of Jesus. This gospel that Paul declares has echoed throughout all of creation. Jesus. And he proudly serves it, Paul says, right? Jesus not only redeems, he reveals our purpose, reveals who we are. To stand firm, embody the transformative power of the gospel, and walk confidently in our new identity. In who we are now. He radically transformed the game. The game has been changed ever since. Now because of Jesus, we have a new identity. 
holy, faultless, and blameless in God's eyes. That is our new identity. Not because we did so good, not because we are so holy in and of ourselves. We did not earn this status of faultless and blameless and holy. It's a gift wrapped in Jesus' love. It's a gift that Jesus took on the cross, died, shed his blood, broke his body, because through the shedding of blood, the forgiveness of sins is given. And only the perfect one, Jesus, is that able to be possible through. When God sees us, he sees Jesus, the perfect, holy, and blameless one. When God sees us, he sees his son and what he has done to make us righteous in him. See, our purpose is to be holy and blameless before God. Just like in the garden, the garden was intended to be that mutual, intimate, loving relationship between man and God. That's the way God created it. But because, and because of Jesus, we can now confidently say that we are rooted in him that he's restored it back to its original intent, that we can have this intimate relationship with God once and for all, that no matter what life throws our way, that no matter how much we get shifted and thrown and, and, and hit back and forth from life, that we are rooted in him. We are rooted in our faith because of Jesus and what he has done. We can stand firm knowing that he is the supreme and sufficient one. So now, as we close, how do we then live? We remain grounded in who we are because Jesus is everything that we need. He is central to all the mysteries and to all the meaning of life. He is sufficient. He sustains us for all things we need in this life. A grace and forgiveness like no other. Grace means that we get a gift that we do not deserve. This is probably the hardest part for most people, that we think that we should only get what we deserve because that's how we were grown up. That's how we were taught growing up. But Jesus says, you don't deserve this, but I want to give it to you. Will you receive my gift of grace? This is the gospel a provision like no other, and an eternity like no other, because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What do we then do? How do we then live? I think it's important to note that coming to church to remind ourselves, to be reminded and be encouraged by this gospel truth. Because in reality, throughout the week, we don't hear these truths We don't hear them, and sometimes we don't even have a space to understand or ask the questions we need to ask to grasp them more strongly. So I want to encourage us, some of the things we need to do is keep coming to church. Draw near to Jesus through his word. You have the scripture, you have a Bible, you can open it and read it. It's so accessible now. You don't even need the physical copy anymore. You can open up in an app and get in all different versions. You can get it in the Greek, you can get it in the Hebrew, all in one swipe. No more reason to think, I don't understand. Or or where does this come from? And I also want to encourage us, being a part of a missional group, being a part of a group is essential to our faith, essential to our growth, 
to be around others when things are getting hard, when, when, our, when our faith is being doubted, when our, when our life is being shaken, to lean in and just be like, man, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know where I'm at in my life. To be uplifted and encouraged to be on mission for the gospel of Jesus. We need one another. So the mystery and the meaning of life find their embodiment in Jesus. He is the manifest presence of God, the manifest power of God, and the one who manifests the purpose that we have in God. So as we navigate the complexities of life, let us fix our eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. Acknowledging his centrality in our existence, may we remain steadfast in our faith. That means staying strong, looking at Jesus. How did he live? So I want to encourage you, if you have this preconceived understanding or thought of who Jesus might be, but you haven't really pursued and read and understood who he truly is through, his, through the scriptures, I want to encourage you to pursue that through the book of John. We're going to be going into the book of John in April that we'll be diving in, looking at the story of Jesus, how he lived, how he walked, what he did, why he did it, what went around, what he taught. It's so essential when we say Jesus is central, Jesus is the central piece of everything. He holds it all together. It's not just taking our word for it, but diving into the scriptures and seeing why is that true? How did he live? So if you have time or make time, I would encourage you to dive into the book of John as we go into it in April. Man, it'll shift your perspective and why we say this is true. He is amazing. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, acknowledging that he is central to our existence, to our every being, to our everything about who we are. May we remain steadfast in our faith, grounded in hope of the gospel, and live out the transformative power that Christ has called us to live because of who he is, what he's done, so that we can now live and flourish in him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. for making yourself known to us. You didn't have to do that, Lord. You could have left us hanging to figure out life on our own. But by your kindness, because you're so kind and loving, you wanted to come and come in the presence, an image of God, the perfected one, God himself in the flesh, so that we can see how to live life the way you've called us to live, but also to be redeemed and restored back to our original intent, which is to be with you and to worship you and to glorify you. We thank you for all that you've done, that you've come on earth, not just to live a good life, but to die and sacrifice yourself so that we can live, that you took the cross that you shed your blood, that you broke your body so that we can live and be near to you, not just now, but for all of eternity. We thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus. And for those of us that have not committed or surrendered or believed in this amazing gospel truth, this good news, God, we pray, will you help our unbelief? Will you help us understand Will you help us sift through our doubts 
Because sometimes the mysteries of this world, mysteries of life can confuse us. Jesus, will you show yourself to us? We surrender for those that do believe, those that surrender their lives to Jesus. We surrender our lives to you and we take communion together. We take the elements of the bread and the juice to represent your broken body and your shed blood for us. You told us to take it in remembrance of you. So Jesus, as we finish praying here, Lord, we will take these elements in remembrance of you. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, and the fact that we are now made new because of who you are. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.